because of God's displeasure. And then David tried to retrieve the ark to bring it back to the city of David, and then he did so improperly, and lives were lost. And so the ark detoured in Obed-Edom's home. But after a season, David says, Now my heart and now my understanding of who God really is and his presence with that ark. That ark is not just a box, but it's his throne. It's his seat. and his, it, it, He dwells there in his presence above it. I'm ready to see it move from this home back into Israel, back into the tabernacle, back into the city of David. And so as that ark is being moved, it says in 2 Samuel 6 that they would take six steps and then they would offer a sacrifice, they would sing songs, then they would commence again and take another six steps. But all the while, David danced and he sang songs of joy with all of those in that procession singing and joining him as the ark made its way made its way from the battlefront to a home to the hills of Zion to Mount Zion itself to the city of David to be once again brought into the tabernacle. It's a song of the return of the king or the coming of the king back into the very heart of his people, his people in corporate worship. And so to experience this psalm this morning, is to understand and to see that God has brought you as it was from creation and from the wilds, from your home, from the battle, and He's bringing you into this place where He's coming in once again, the very King of glory, to meet us, a gathered people, in worship. That's where we're going. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He, has clean, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gate, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, and the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The strong, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gate, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, This morning, I want you to see two things. I want you to see the seeker of the Lord, the worshiper. The one who is seeking to worship his king, making an ascent to the tabernacle. 
He's starting from a low place. He's starting from the world. Verses 1 and 2. He's starting from creation. And he's making his approach to corporate worship. And then I want you to see, secondly, the king. The king entering in to worship. The king coming to all those who seek him out in worship. That's where we're going. But first look at 1 and 2 to see where we're coming from. David, in writing this psalm, acknowledges that the first step, the first pitch, like a climb, the first bit of rock work or rugged trail that we've got to negotiate is taking us from the base camp up a pitch out of the world. And he's saying the first thing that you have to recognize is that everything in the world that you can see is the Lord. He owns it all. That you are literally going to be one that as you walk in this world, you have eyes and an ability to see that it is all His. Look there, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, we don't really talk that way, the fullness thereof, but there's no better language to say He owns it all. Having a six-year-old granddaughter, not to mention my own four now adult children, it's interesting how very early on they, the, the word mine enters into their language and into their thinking such that it's difficult sometimes for them to even share a toy because they have this possessiveness that even as they began to possess toys and then possess clothes that though another purchased it for them, they put their stamp of ownership upon it. Wendy and I are preparing with the rest of our family for a vacation in Germany come August. And I was talking to someone that's just returned from Germany on Friday, and he said one thing that's going to be striking is he said, the Germans do not plan for retirement. They don't save for retirement. They expect the government to do that. Now, they pay higher, much higher taxes than we do, but there's just an expectation that the government will do that. And he said they, they very rarely do they own their own home or flat. They just rent or it's subsidized housing. And I thought, you know, we particularly in the West have this heart that is inclined toward possessions. We want to own our car. We want to own our home. We want to own our property. We want to own things. Here, verses 1 and 2, David comes and he says in verse 1, he said, there are those who dwell therein. So everything, the fullness thereof, everything is the Lord, and we are not owners. He is. We are dwellers. And we are stewards. The implications of this are huge. Relax. You don't have to own it. I've thought about what this does in terms of envy. You're on vacation. You're in Charleston. Or you go on vacation to the mountains. And you turn to your wife or your friend and you say, gee, wouldn't it be nice to have a second home here? You know those tours that we've taken, those, those homes on the peninsula with a garden and, and 
I mean, they're just so beautiful. Wouldn't it? Oh, man. They don't deserve I wish I owned that. And your heart begins to either go in the direction of envy or maybe even contempt. You know, if you get that everything is the Lord's, and we're just dwellers here, you can just enjoy it for its beauty. You can even bless those that dwell there because they don't own it either, though they may think they do. It's all the Lord's. This is a great preventative for envy. It helps us to not also hang on to things so tightly. It's good preparation for eternity. Everything that we have will eventually rust or fall or decay. Even this last week with the shooting of the policeman in Dallas with, again, the tensions between the races that we're seeing. Charles Spurgeon says this about verses 1 and 2. He says, What a rebuke to those wiseacres who speak of the Negro and other despised races as though they were not cared for by the God of heaven! Exclamation mark. The meanest of men, and by that he means the lowest, is a dweller in the world and therefore belongs to Jehovah. Not only do, does all the earth, but all the nations and all the people, behind the civil rights movement was the, this thought that Martin Luther King proclaimed was is that we are equally made in the eyes of a creator. He didn't make some smarter or superior to one another. We all are image bearers, amago Dei. And so when we look at one another, we can, there is no room for any superiority. And so David begins and he says, that's the first pitch. That's the first ascent that we make as we approach this God that we would worship. That we literally, this morning, we can worship together corporately. Because none of us have any room to feel superior to one another. We can say the Lord is my God and I am a dweller in His creation. And it doesn't matter the clothes I wear, the neighborhood I live in, the possessions I have, for He is mine and I am His and He possesses me and I possess Him and this world is His. He is the rightful King and I am but a steward. It makes me think also that I know some of you are really into recycling and you'd say, man, this is a great sermon to preserve the environment. And it is. And God's people as Christians with verses 1 and 2 that this is the world, this is a world of His creation and it's His earth. We do need to be good stewards and to preserve it. But it's more than that. It's more than being good recyclers. It's also how we relate to one another. How do we relate to one another? How do we relate to the nations around us or people that are differences? Heaven forbid that we do such a good job at putting out our plastic goods in blue bins, but we never have people of different skin colors into our home. Um, Pitch number two. Hike into the gathering for worship in the church. Verse three prompts... The psalmist prompts us here and he says, you know, I see him in the world, but I know, as John Calvin would say, we are made 
for worship. We're not made to simply dwell here and exist. We have a heart that is made for worship. And if we are not drawn in to the worship of God, we'll simply worship His gifts and worship creation, but not worship the Creator. And the psalm says, I'll have none of that. I want to see the king. I want to be in the presence of my king. I don't want to simply enjoy the benefits of his kingdom, but I want to worship. And so he says, how do I get in that noble band, that virtuous band, that that band of worshipers that are in his presence? How shall I ascend to his place, his home, his abode? Verse 4, the requirements. Clean hands, that means that it's not hands like here, hands that are clean of another's blood or hands that are clean of death dealing. Jesus in the New Testament says you don't have to have committed murder, but you could commit murder by not simply physically the murder of your neighbor, by simply calling them raka or fool, by judging another one harshly, by judging yourself, another one as inferior. He says you've committed murder in your heart. Do we have clean hands? A pure heart. A heart that's single in its focus. It's undivided. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And this is a, this idea that it's an idol. In other words, we're not clinging to worshiping two things. We're not worshiping money and possessions as well as God. That we're, we're you see the worshiper who's beginning now to go to a higher pitch, that he's beginning to leave worldly things aside and become much more narrow in his focus, that he wants to worship God not simply that he might get, but he wants to worship God that he might receive him and his presence, intimacy with him, who does not swear deceitfully. He's not someone that lies. He doesn't lie. He, he's willing to be honest. He's willing to make himself vulnerable to one another. But he's also willing to call it like it is. Yes, truth, certainly in love. He's not going to call someone out, but he's going to speak into someone's life. I look at verse 4, and if verse 4 stood alone, that's pretty bad news for me. On any given Sunday, those, one of those four things is kicking up in my life. Dirty hands, dirty heart, idol worship, lying, posing, pretending, hypocrisy. What do I do? Verse 5. The gospel begins to enter in. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And good works is obedience, clean hands, pure heart, no idols, honesty. How do we stir one another up? How do you strengthen me that I might be able to worship? How do you strengthen me in my walk with Jesus that I might walk uprightly, righteously, purely, obediently? How do I strengthen you? How do I stir you up to do so and not beat you over the head with it, but do it in love? 
the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 says, by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Worship. By not neglecting Sunday morning or an alternate time of corporate gathered worship. Psalm 24 is a worshiper who is ascending and going into worship to find God in the the gathered assembly of worship. He's not... He's leaving the world to come into church. He's not leaving church to go find God out in the world alone in nature. He's letting nature and creation literally drive him into corporate worship. In other words, he's not worshiping alone. He's not neglecting worship. He's not belittling corporate worship as just a tradition. It's for others. It's not for me. My quiet times, my time with worship in, on the beach is far better than my time to worship on Sunday morning. Verse 5 is a promise. Verse 5 is where God meets us. Verse 5 says He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. In other words, I don't come in because I'm righteous. I don't let clean hands and a pure heart, a soul following other idols and dishonestly simply stop me at the door. What I say is I, I put those dirty hands before God and I say, God, I'm not bringing my righteousness into this worship because I don't have any. I'm coming into this place to receive once again by your grace, your righteousness In other words, transform me by the righteousness that you possess. We know something that the psalmist did not know. We know that there was one that was able to ascend to God's place, to ascend in all purity and righteousness, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And now God, we can see what the psalmist could not see. This psalmist would receive righteousness, a transfer of righteousness and atonement through the shed blood of a lamb. We receive it every Sunday morning by our heart being able to hook itself again into the gospel. Every Sunday morning at Two Rivers, every Sunday morning, whether it's through the songs, whether it's through the prayers of the the elder shepherds, whether it's through God's word, even through the fellowship of God's people, you once again should receive the very life and the works and the death and the love and the pleasure of Jesus Christ transferred to you every Sunday morning. And we worship not because we're righteous, but in our worship we receive His righteousness. Well, I could stop there, but there's one more pitch. And this is where most people quit. In Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus Christ said, Narrow and hard is the way of righteousness. Or narrow and hard is the way to hook yourself to me and to follow me. Narrow and hard and few find it to be a disciple to walk with me. Oh, wide and easy is the other way. 
But this is, this is higher ground. In other words, to walk with God at this level is a struggle. If you feel like you struggle in your walk with God, if you feel like you struggle in your walk with Jesus, if you feel like it's costing you something to be a Christian, if you feel like that, that there are sins that you long thought you would be over, but they're still present, are there new ones to join them? I want to tell you, you're normal. It is difficult. This is a climb, and it's uphill. But you're not alone. He says in verse 6, those who seek Him seek the face of the God of Jacob. And you remember how Jacob saw God's face or how he encountered God? He wrestled. And he held on. And he had no more strength and his hip is dislocated. He just has, he's just, his strength is ebbing out, but he's hanging on, he's hanging on. And the one that he's wrestling with, even the Lord, Jesus Christ, says, let go of me. And he says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. It's the God who's not ashamed to be called the God of Jacob, the God of scoundrels, the God of con men. I love that. I think I love this title more than any other. There is a challenge to that. It's got competition. You're going to see it in just a moment where he says that he's the Lord of hosts. But whenever I come to see that he's the God of Jacob, I want to see his face. How do you see right now, right now, Paul's, Think of God's face upon you right now. What's his expression look like? How do you think God is towards you? You think he's wagging his head? (sighs) Who do you think you're fooling? I know your weekend. I know your past week. And here you are in worship. (sighs) Man. Or do you think he's going, man, good job this week. A lot better than the week before. You're doing good right now. Keep working hard. Or do you just see a God whose face is smiling upon you? A God whose face upon you is the same as His face upon His Son, Jesus Christ. A God who is not reluctant to love you. A God who does love you. The face of the truest, best, loving Father you can ever know. Mother Teresa, the original Mother Teresa, the one that the mother, it's the Mother Teresa of Avila. The Mother Teresa of Calcutta took her saintly or matron name from her. But Mother Teresa of Avila told all of the sisters in her charge, she said, she said Myra Cute Myra, or Mira, Mira Cute Myra, see God seeing you. See God seeing you with the assumption that you see God's face and you see His smile. That doesn't turn you off. It turns you on. It doesn't turn you away from worship. It causes worship to exude. But there are going to be plenty of things that try to dissuade us from seeking God's face. It's rarefied air. But it's a level that this worshiper has arrived at. And now he's in the sanctuary or the tabernacle. And they're awaiting the coming of the ark. 
Now, this last part, this last part, I'm going to be brief. And so I'm not going to be doing a lot of justice, not all the justice that it demands. But Psalm 24 is a liturgy for the church. Psalm 24, we can imagine being a priest, a Levite, at the gate or the doors of the sanctuary. And as the ark is coming in, like a a dignitary, a king, who is being carried or conveyed in this royal procession, the gatekeeper says, hey, who's who's coming? Who, Who is this? And they shout, the king, the king is coming. Well, what's his pedigree? He's the king of all glory. He's the king of all fame. He's the king of all deeds. You can tell all the battle songs and his are the noblest and the best. They glorify him more than anyone else. Well, what's his rank? Who is this guy? He's the Lord of hosts, meaning the army. He's the Lord over the greatest army ever. In Joshua 5, before the battle of Jericho, Joshua goes into the hills and he begins to look out over Jericho. And he notices that there's a man standing near him with a drawn sword in his hand. Drawn. So he's armed, got one in the chamber, he's ready to go. He's dangerous. And he looks like a warrior, obviously. A commander. And so he says, are you with our enemy or are you with us? And I love his answer. He says, no. 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 I'm with the Lord. (laughs) I'm the Lord. I am with the Lord over his army. Joshua's response is to fall down to the ground on his face and he begins to worship. Were it an angel... He would stop him. Were it a prophet of God, he would stop him. This one who appears doesn't stop him. In fact, Joshua says, what do I do? And he says, take off your sandals because where you are is holy. Later in Revelation, we see that Jesus, when he appears, will appear on a great white horse with a sword in battle armament, as it were, with a robe that has written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's also tattooed on his thigh. And it says, behind him is an army dressed in white. And that they are preparing to tread through the wine press of the Lord Almighty's wrath. This psalm, Psalm 24, 
talks about welcoming in God in worship as a God who not only fights for his people, but who has fought and won. He has fought and won freedom for his people that they would not be prisoners or captives. He has fought and won them that he might be their rightful king. He has fought and he has won life for them. He has done it and they welcome him in. We do that in our service each Sunday morning as we come to see the fight. We see the shed blood and the broken body of our warrior king and Lord Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge that we're not celebrating a memorial service where our fallen hero in the fight did not rise again, but he conquered death on our behalf that we may not even fear death. He conquered death such that it could not lay its hold on him permanently. This psalm, Psalm 24, the rabbinic tradition was the first day of the week, which is our Sunday. On the first day of the week, this psalm, Psalm 24, was read. Israel, the temple had been destroyed. They had been in exile. Now they were oppressed. They had a lot of reasons that they could look and they can say, why are we still asking for the King of Glory to come? Because they knew of his promise to return. And when he returned, he would return in worship. And we know the first day of the week, our Sunday, that when we approach and we see the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we receive it again for ourselves, we rehearse again and celebrate the King of glory coming again for his people. That Sunday, by the way, that first day of the week, as Jesus was going to the cross, was Palm Sunday. I believe with all my heart that Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and now Psalm 24 were on his mind. And as he rode on that little donkey and people pulled down palm leaves and they made a highway for him and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's thinking, They really don't quite understand. But their king of glory is riding in. And he's riding in to do battle for them. And then following that, in his ascension, he'll be received into heaven where he'll be celebrated for fighting on behalf of his people. Commentators say that they also believe that this is a forecast of the day that we, the saints, will one day, following the second battle, when Christ returns to take us home, that once again, then we'll be in that band to be received by the very heavenly host. We celebrate all that in a very succinct way in this table. That's why we practice the the liturgy, that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. That Christ our King has ascended, but Christ our King will once again come to take us home. Or we'll go to be with Him. Let's pray this morning.
Heavenly Father, right now, our King of glory abides with you. And we celebrate with this Lord's Supper and we celebrate in our worship the battle over sin and death that you have fought on our behalf. We would receive again the very life of Christ on our behalf. That you would give us the life of Christ and it would, it would Father, totally transform us. That it would cover me His shed blood and His broken body, Father, would be received on my behalf. And I would receive not only the forgiveness, but I would receive, Father, transformation. That I might become more and more the very worshiper that You seek. Lord, as we prepare to come to this table, we ask that You would meet us at this table alive and in spirit and you would serve us from this table, the very person of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.